0: hello everyone and welcome to the top music podcast where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated my name is scott kiwi i'm a drummer turned comedy singer songwriter and now apparently a podcaster you're going to hear me chat to many people but more often than not it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free, that's right, for free, at scottcowey.com. Guest this week on the podcast, Mr. Brian Ray. The man who I think's got the coolest job in the world, and I'll tell you the reason why. He stands at the side of the stage with his guitar, sometimes his bass, Playing with Paul McCartney. Performing the greatest songs ever written by anybody. Did you watch the Grammys the other night? Brian Ray was on stage with Paul McCartney. He was on stage with Ringo Starr. The Beatles, of course. Fantastic. Brian is an absolute gentleman. A few days prior to playing that Grammy show, he took the time out to chat to the Talk Music Podcast. Did you also see it on Twitter? He's backstage at the Grammys and he's tweeting about the Talk Music Podcast? Unbelievable, total professional, it's an honour and a privilege to talk to Brian Ray. Before we get to our interview with Brian Ray, Ryan Tyler, the lead singer of the band Pedro, the very first podcast that we had, Pedro opened it up. The first track that was on it, Twitter, went crazy. So we've got Ryan Tyler, who's got some solo stuff coming up. You can check him out on Facebook and Twitter. So he is live in the studio right now. He's going to give us a track. And then we'll be right back on the Top Music podcast, Chatting Music with Brian Ray.
1: That's
0: Okay, we're back on the podcast with Brian Ray. How are you today, Brian?
2: I'm doing good. How are you doing today, Scott?
0: I'm okay, yeah. I would imagine the weather is a lot better over there than it is in um, rainy Scotland.
2: I just went to take my dog for a walk and I had put on a light sweater, which I immediately had to take off and tie around my waist. That I don't mean to make you jealous, but yeah, it's nice here.
0: Oh, well, listen, the only time the weather is good here is when I'm looking at my desktop background, which is, of course, a picture of Los Angeles. Anyway, you've had a busy couple of years, but I want to go way back, way back when you started playing music. Who made you want to pick up the guitar and why, Brian?
2: Oh, that's... Uh You know, that goes back a long way. I was just intrigued with early rock and roller. So, you know, those early Elvis records with Scotty Moore playing those dangerous, badass solos like Heartbreak Hotel and uh, and uh, all the other songs of that time, the early uh, mid 50s, early rock and roll period. The guitar was really featured. And that was a new thing for popular music to have guitar solos. I mean, that was one of the defining features, I think, of rock and roll. And um, he just had a great sense of space, as I said, danger and uh, fluidity, you know, uh, uh, rock around the clock with that great guitar solo uh, by Bill Haley's guitar player. I forget his name right now. And then on through uh, Link Ray, uh, Dick Dale, uh, um, uh, uh, Dwayne, Eddy these guys just intrigue me. At a very early, I'm four years, two years old, and I'm already a guitar fan. So you know, it was it started pretty early for me. Now,
0: talking of Scotty Moore and the old Elvis recording, advances in technology, recording equipment these days, it's unbelievable. Do you ever want to create a record going back to basics? Have you ever thought about that? Because you hear so many people talking about how great recording was back in the day. Does that ever occur to you at all?
2: You know, what I try to do, and with my latest uh, project that I think you've maybe heard is the bayonets, we try to uh, capture the best of both worlds. I mean, it's not like we're recording with two microphones in one room with everyone live in very little isolation, but we are recording and hitting tape finally, and we're using old preamps and old microphones, old guitars, and old hands. And, you know, we we figure, You put those things together with the right kind of uh, inspiration and you get something that has that kind of gravitas and value.
0: Excellent. Now, I want to go back to, obviously, recently, you've been playing with Paul McCartney for a number of years now, but you've had an incredible career prior to that. Etta James, can you tell us a story about how all that came about? How did you start working with her?
2: Yeah, that's a bit wild, isn't it? You know, I'm just like this, I was a skinny, long, haired white kid from Glendale, California. So it doesn't really make sense, you know, uh, that I would end up with the great Edda James. But that's exactly what happened. I had befriended a a wild uh, figure in rock and roll history, the legend, the one and only Phil Kaufman, who is well known for his role in Graham Parsons' life and passing. Uh, And uh, I had met Phil Kaufman soon after Graham's passing and was befriended by him and sort of taken in by him one morning he said I'm going to be going up to Etta James's rehearsal in a little bit and the guitar player can't make it why don't you bring your guitar and come with me and i stayed the night at his pad and went up there the next morning and at about noon I met Etta James for the first time and just kind of jammed with her kind of a rehearsal you know and she said, I like that little white kid and invited me to play a gig in Long Beach, I think, the next night or something. So then I didn't hear from her for months. And she calls me and says, Brian, it's Edda. I'm up in Ventura, California. It's about an hour and 15 minutes away. I go, I go on in two hours. Can you get up here? And, I, and I, that was the beginning of 14 years. I guess that was my trial by fire you know uh, would I show up in two hours and I guess that's what it took
0: so you're with her for 14 years is that right
2: 14 years at at uh starting at age 19 yeah
0: 19 and you were um, is it true you were her musical director that's been written down as a a truth to that was that
2: yeah I sure was I I was her musical director you know to the degree that she uh allowed one but I, I would go with her to venues and put together local bands because she was really running uh, pretty uh, skinny on on the uh, on the budget back then. So we would be relegated to putting bands together in the towns that we would go to. It would be my job to rehearse with them and uh, show them the ropes the day of the gig. Go have a bite and come back and play two shows with her.
0: It's just incredible to think this. Now you were really really young when you were MD, when you were the musical director, was that intimidating? I'm assuming the guys in the band are a lot older than you. Is that correct or?
2: Usually true. I mean, the keyboard player that was uh, aboard at that time was a guy named Ron Stockert from the band Rufus. Um, we had various drummers and bass players coming and going, but we had so many great players coming and going. And I was just lucky to be surrounded by generous, tolerant people. Most of them who knew a lot more about music than I did at that point, but I did have a drive and an invincibility at an early age and some sort of moxie to be able to do it, I guess. It was, I guess, based in desire. I wanted so much to be a part of it, and I was such a giant fan of Edda's. I mean, she was a mind-blowing power, mind-blowing talent.
0: Yeah. Wow, and not only that, you go from Etta James, Smokey Robinson. At what point in time during this fourteen years is this? During that period, is this after? What's going well, on this, there?
2: Uh, the Smokey Robinson uh, record that I wrote and arranged actually came towards the end of Etta James thing, and it was at that time she wanted to re up, you know, or recommit my my involvement with her and give me a more official title. But uh, I had, at that point, started getting checks from the Smokey Robinson hit record, which is now th- near three million airplays called One Heartbeat. And and uh, there were restrictions on playing with Etta that we were uh, imposed on me by her manager and her husband that I wasn't crazy about. And I regretted that decision. I was trying to claw my way back into her life for years after that, because as the check slowed down from Smokey, there you are again. And you feel like some bad footnote in a VH1 story or something like that, the guy who left at a James. But, you know, things ended up turning out okay, you know?
0: They certainly did, yeah. You were off for a long period of time, you mentioned there. Now, would you recommend, even though a lot of musicians might have those lengthy periods of time where they're not getting as much work, to stick at it?
2: Yeah, well, that's my experience, I I mean, I, I can't suggest that I know what's best for other people. Sometimes everyone's circumstance is different. In my case, uh, I had just enough moxie left or, you know, um, lack of good sense to stick with it, even though I was, you know, there were a lot of holes in the boat at certain points in my career where, you know, it was going down and I didn't have any real promise of another gig. And I basically said what I call the scary prayer, which is, you know, whoever's out there, up there, in there, if this is not the kind of living where I can best be of service, show me where that is and let me be willing to do what it takes to do that. And let me be willing to let go of this lifelong dream I've been chasing And, uh, you know, a complete surrender, if that makes sense. And in that surrender, you know, I found some peace and I found uh, a couple checks in the mail. And I just kind of then just took that as a sign because basically that's kind of what I was asking for is like, show me what I'm supposed to do. And, uh, you know, uh, you can even be agnostic or even an atheist and still have the leap of some kind of faith to stick with your dream and to be willing to surrender if that means more peace and maybe more income.
0: Excellent. Now, Smokey Robinson, Etta James, if, as if it can't get any more mind-blowing, Paul McCartney, how did this come about?
2: Oh, well, that's interesting. You know, soon after um, Etta James, I went on to play with Rita Coolidge for years from uh, Joe Cocker's Mad Dogs and Englishmen uh, fame and also solo fame and was her musical director and guitar player for about 4 years which uh soon fed into working with Adam Cohen Leonard Cohen's son which soon uh led into my solo a new solo band and then I got uh, a, uh, I got a job offer to go to France and play with Johnny Halliday who is like the Elvis Presley of France you may have heard of him before and he's been Oh yeah yeah He's like, as if Elvis had not gone away, that's Johnny Halliday now. He's still having hit albums at 71. Uh, terrific guy. And uh, so I jumped at that. And Milan Farmer, a, a French female singer, uh, about as famous as Johnny, not as old, but uh, as famous. And uh, the drummer on both of those gigs that happened to get the audition, win the audition for both of those gigs, was none other than Abe Laborial Jr., who yeah. is uh, Paul's great drummer. And uh, I don't know, Abe and I just clicked straight off the bat. Day one, we found ourselves in a foreign country, not speaking the language well, days off, going to movies, you know, having a laugh, going to eat, walking through France and just became buddies. Came time for Abe to leave because he had an offer to go do an album with Paul McCartney and he was playing with other people, uh, at which time I missed him a lot from the French gigs because I was still there. But I, I asked him, I said, you know, you guys are about to go on the road with Paul, I hear. Uh, who's going to play bass when Paul goes to piano? Who's going to play guitar when he's on bass? I mean, and he goes, oh, we're looking for a guitar player who plays a bit of bass. And I said, I'd love a shot at that. And he said, oh, that's cool. That's a great idea. And then he gave my name to David Kahn, the great producer of several of Paul's uh, albums and uh, many other hits. David Kahn put a band together for for Paul for that Driving Rain album. Uh, Abe put my name forward. David Kahn called me and said, can you come down to my office right now? I have a gig that's, that's uh, possible for you to do one song with Paul McCartney for the Super Bowl. One song, 2002. Uh, pre-game show. Not the halftime show we did. I said, I'd love to, of course. I got down there and we just chatted, you know, he handed me a bass and I'd fiddle around on bass, not even plugged in, he's just kind of watching me. Guitar, same thing, kind of fiddle around, Talked more about music and he said, I have a good feeling about this, I'll put your name forward, we'll see what happens. And I get a call the next day, can you be on a plane tomorrow to New Orleans? And that was the beginning of the Paul McCartney thing. So, you know... and So your,
0: was your first gig the Super Bowl, is that
2: right? The first Super Bowl. We did two. We did one in '05, I guess it was, and one in 02.
0: Imagine joining a band and being told that your first gig is at the Super Bowl. I think it's safe to say at that point you've made it. We're on the podcast talking to Brian Ray, and we're going to segue into a great band called the Walcots who are out there in Los Angeles. Our friend, a great friend of the show, Greg Barnes, is on the Hammond for this one. Check this out. music.com is where you can check out more about those guys, fantastic track there Too Little Too Late, we're back in the podcast talking to Brian Ray guitar player, bass player for Paul McCartney's band, now Brian Paul McCartney rated so highly a great singer, songwriter, everybody speaks about how good his songs are but a fantastic bass player how highly do you rate him in the bass? Well yeah, I
2: mean to me he's uh, the most important bass player in rock and pop and he's right up there with James Jameson of Motown fame for best bass players ever in my book. Now it's subjective, but I have a lot of reasons for it. First of all, as you know, bass is real is the foundation. And if you don't have good time and a good feel with a drummer, in other words, your bass notes don't sound exactly in time with the kick drum, you know, you're kind of doing it wrong. And Paul has this incredible innate sort of time sense and such a relaxed sort of approach to time. But then on top of that, his melodic sense and his counterpoint sense is off the charts. It's, um, it's something no one can imitate, you know. If you listen to records like Getting Better or if you listen to uh, Lovely Rita, or any number of songs, Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite, and you listen to the bass parts, I mean, they are pieces of art. Yeah. You know, to and of themselves, yeah.
0: And the fact that what he can sing and play the bass as well at the same time, is just remarkable.
2: I mean, he's out there singing Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite lead while playing that exact bass part note for note. And it wasn't even a Paul McCartney lead vocal at the time. It was a John Lennon lead vocal, a song they wrote together. Crazy.
0: It's, it really, really is. So what's the first song that you play with Paul McCartney?
2: I think it was... Um, uh, I think it was... Hello Goodbye.
0: Right. Wow. Well, it's think, just... Yeah. What boggles my mind is the thought of you getting an email, just saying, can you learn these songs? And it's just, it's, you know, 10 of the greatest songs ever written by anybody.
2: Well, first of all, and then to be looking out of the corner of your eye and that's the guy who's singing the lead vocal. You're not in a club band, you know, but it's kind of bizarre. Yes, for sure. It's very surreal. And there's a part of me that just didn't look down for a while. It's like you you just didn't want to look over there. You didn't want to look. You just wanted to get the parts right. But, um, you know, I wasn't sure I had the gig yet because even though I did the one song at the Super Bowl 2002, there was another five or six weeks before he re- rehearsed for the proper tour. And in that five or six weeks, I was told, you know, you have the front, you're the front runner for the job, but Paul hasn't really worked with you yet. So I didn't tell people I have the gig. I didn't tell myself I had the gig. I went home and I it and I studied and I just drank and ate everything, Beatles, solo Paul and Wings for five or six weeks to get to the level I think I thought that I needed to be at and then the first day of rehearsal you know we play that song and many others we must have played 14 songs the first day because we had prepared for five days as a band before we got there and at the end of the first day he goes okay guys sounds good see you tomorrow and that is the first time I thought to myself I'm going on tour with Paul McCartney I didn't allow myself to think that until then, but yeah, that that was the moment,
0: yeah. What I love about the McCartney band is that we're also familiar with the members. Abe on the kit, you at the side of the stage, playing the guitar, playing the bass. It feels like a band. It doesn't feel like a solo artist with a bunch of session guys. You seem like really good friends, a close tight knit unit. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, you know, there's just a lot of love and a lot of trust, and there's 12 years of experience together now. Before Paul, I'd known Rusty since 1989. Before Paul, I knew Abe for uh, five years. Uh, I, Wix was new to me, and of course Paul was new to me, but I had long relationships with half of the band, so it was already quite comfortable. Now the funny thing is that Abe and Rusty didn't know each other before the band, but um, you know, there were these, you know, I knew Rusty. I knew Abe, and uh, we just sort of dug in. And, you know, like with any close family, you go through periods of uh, comfort or struggle. It's just like a a family or a band or a marriage or anything, you know, you always do. And we're just uh, very fortunate to be, you know, five guys who get on well. We party every night, you know, after a gig. Paul just wants to have a laugh and hang out. It's not like he flies off solo every time we play. And, uh, you know, it's just a good vibe. So that's why it sounds like a band because it is a band.
0: Absolutely, yeah. The album last year um, received great reviews. Give me some of the highlights from last year, the big tour, everything that was going on.
2: Well, you know, we had recorded with Paul uh, several times before, and we're fortunate enough to really be called in to go a bit deeper in the recording process with Paul than we had before, to be invited in to his process more, to be trusted with brand new songs that weren't fully formed yet. That takes a lot of trust. I mean, he's just he's just a human like any of us when it comes down to us, when it comes down to it, that he has the same sort of Anxiety about playing a brand new, unfinished, unformed song for a bunch of people he likes and respects. He's nervous, like I would be, like you might be.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
2: It takes a great deal of trust, but you know, after 11 years, it's like, come on, man, we, we've we seen each other at our worst and our best. That's and uh, yeah, just a, a great privilege to be invited into his process a little deeper than usual, and it was just a a fun time. If there was a memory that stuck out for us, it maybe it was uh, in the last weeks of the recording process here in Los Angeles at the Henson Studio, which, of course, is the Charlie Chaplin soundstage uh, from long ago. And it, that still exists. It's on that movie lot that Henson Studios uh, lives. And we had two rooms set up. We had one big recording room with all of our gear. You know, I had 10 guitars, basses, dulcimers, and, and uh, strum sticks, and he had 10 keyboards, and everybody had all their gear there. And then down the hall, down a back hall, was a second room that was a mix room where Spike Stent was in there working away on the mixes. So we'd be in this fun back and forth process of hammering out something that's very early in its musical life, and then going down the hall to hear something that's finished you know, and it was an inspiring, fun process and uh, very colourful, a lot of laughs and just long days of hanging out together, making music and rethinking and creating and trying again and, you know, investigating.
0: I am having a great time chatting to Brian Ray that plays guitar for Paul McCartney, Etta James, Smokey Robinson, what a career this man has had. We're going to segue into a song by my friend Mike Smith, uh, on vocals for this one is Kaylee O'Neill it's an unreleased track it's a track called Accusation you can check Mike out at mikesax.co.uk this man's seriously seriously talented a fantastic musician and a great guy so we're going to listen to Mike Smith with Kaylee O'Neill on vocals just now
3: Accusations flying I'm sick of all the lying Just fine.
0: Brian and I were just chatting through that song there. Of all the names that I've mentioned, the people that Brian is working with, I can't believe Brian that I've not even mentioned Dave Grohl yet.
2: Oh, he's done a few things. He did a Grammy show with us in about 08. I think it was, he played two or three, four songs with us on the Grammys as a standing drummer. Abe was off doing Clapton or something, uh, some up and coming artist. But then, uh, and then we also did the, what was dubbed Servana which was Paul with uh, the uh, surviving members of Nirvana for that recent song. And uh, we did a big show up in Seattle, Paul did, and invited the Nirvana guys to come on and play that song for an encore and a couple more. So it was quite a rave up and a lot of fun. Great guys, Dave and Pat and Chris and, you know, just a a great bunch of guys
0: absolutely you mentioned very briefly your other band the bayonets what's going on there is there any plans to work with the band again have you got more solo material coming out
2: yeah well uh the bayonets is a new band a new project with uh oliver lieber and myself oliver is a singer songwriter he's been at it for a really long time uh and he's an old dear friend of mine um And we've been collaborating for years together. He collaborated with me on my first two solo albums. When I approached him to write some more stuff for another solo album, he said, let's just do a band. I said, that sounds fun. And that decision was made right then and there. We just had to come up with a name, but we wrote a song that first day. And it was a song uh, called Sucker for Love, which was our first single. And uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping to do a lot more of it this year. We'll see how the scheduling works out for both of us. He's a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. Hope to do more. We have a, an offer of a record deal for a physical CD. So far, we just did a string of singles, digital. But it was a huge success. We were all over the place. We were on Little Stevens Underground Garage, and we were on classic rock radio stations and classic hits radio stations. We were on uh, television doing interviews, and we had three videos that have you know done pretty well for some some old rockers (laughs) it's just been a really fun time and we want to do more of it
0: listen brian this has been absolutely amazing sitting talking to you chatting about music talking about your career we need to get you on again at some stage thanks very much for today thanks for your time it's been great chatting to you
2: and you too scott it's a pleasure
0: what a great conversation with brian ray on the podcast now in fact what i'm going to do now let's yep turn that on Turn that on, Jackson. I want you involved in this conversation here. We've got Jackson Lloyd, who's producing this show. Say hello, Jackson. Hello. Now, Jackson, um, <laughs> for a start, where do, you, I mean, where do you start with that conversation with Brian Ray? What are your thoughts?
1: It's just like
4: you heard him. He was like talking about it, like the first time he uh, played with Paul McCartney. Was like at the Super Bowl. and like, He couldn't even tell you what year it was. I mean, like just...
0: he couldn't tell you what year it was. He couldn't tell you what song the first song that he played with McCartney. I mean, just being in that circle and when he's talking about yeah, we invited the guys from Nirvana for a couple of songs at the Grammys. You know that was a it was a good night and we we party a lot. Me and Paul sitting and jam and write songs. What you would give to be in that band? Oh, unbelievable. And he was just so humble so as humble well. Was it, yeah? And such a nice guy And, and we really, really appreciate it and we've, Brian, we hope you're listening to this back And know how much we we really, really are grateful For you taking the time out of your busy schedule yeah. To be in the Talk Music Podcast With me, Scott Cowie And the guy that's producing this show, Jackson Lloyd Now Jackson, we're going to end with one of Jackson's songs Actually, tell us a little bit about this track uh, This is a
4: track by Urban Myth Who were a band that I kind of do Bits and pieces with back and forth And it's called Virtual Reality
0: we know what's happened here folks I think everybody can see through this We know it's going to be a podcast Where a lot of people will be interested in And Jackson thinks to himself Right I'll get a bit of shameless self-promotion out of this
4: Well I do produce the thing so
0: he, he does produce this thing Well I, I present the thing And you don't see me You know doing stuff like this Try to get my own songs on the podcast Because if you want to hear my songs You can check out com, And you can look at my videos I've got a lot of funny videos on YouTube And um I'm starting to do a lot of DJ work as well You can check that out www.scottcowey.com forward slash DJ with foam parties in Ibiza You can check out that
1: They're very good
0: Very, very interesting as well Really, really cutting edge So you can check out that kind of stuff as well TV Saturday is a song that's doing around on YouTube as well Um, I could maybe even play a live version of that right now In fact, well I suppose we'll have to play Jackson's song to end (laughs) the podcast, everybody This is Urban Myth See you next time, folks